I cannot tell you how many times I would be doing counseling and I'd be asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, right? That's basically what counseling is. Just, you just ask a lot of questions and then, you know, draw conclusions and, and give insight. But how many times I would ask a question after seeing a client three or four times, and there would be one little piece of information that they would give me because I asked the right question. And I would be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I understand now what's going on, right? I understand where the difficulty is. I understand why we're stuck. I understand why you feel frustrated. It's one piece of information. So that understanding when we're building software, I'm like, I need all the context because if I know that they have this person as a math teacher and they're not doing well in math and that's a terrible teacher, that's gonna help me solve their problem. Or if I look at their non-cognitive assessment, that's being pulled into the software and I can see like they don't actually want to be here. That's going to help me solve the problem. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Phillips Buck, VP for Student Success. Um, you have joined us for Cap and Gown. Matt, do you want to introduce yourself? Do you need I'm, an introduction? Sure. I'm Matt Boisvert service president of Ferris Resources. Great to join you on this cap and gown episode number 36. We are um, excited to talk about our topic today. A couple of things to do in terms of housekeeping. First of all, I can't believe that we've done so many of these. I said uh, today as we were reflecting on it, who knew that we had so much content, you know, 36 hours and Shauna was like, I knew you had that much content. So I guess that's good. It's not getting old. So that's helpful. Um, if you want to go back and see some of our other uh, webinars, you can use our tap link, um, taplink.cc slash Ferris resources. Also, you can join us, um, listen to us any place that you listen to your podcast. So I know a lot of you do that. Thanks for joining us. Um, I was thinking, Matt, particularly relevant to this season, this rhythm of the academic year, is our um, podcast on not enrolled. And I think we did that last April. Does that sound right? March, April? Yeah. I yeah. think we did it last April. <clears throat> and so obviously you can skip over the first half of it because it's State of the Union and that stuff. But we actually do have in there some really meaty action items and workflow for what you should be doing um, as you're thinking about your students leaving. So I love that. You know, I'm I, the not yet enrolled process is something that I've just become really focused on and passionate about because you can really make an impact not only on retention, but for your students when when at, as they're getting close to the end of their first semester, you say, hey, we've noticed you haven't registered yet. We want you back on campus. That on its own is a big statement. So yeah, for sure, I really love that. So check that out. That will be a good one to go back and revisit. Um, okay, Matt, you have an update on our anchor athlete, Jessica. I do. So Jessica, they won. So last week they had a tournament and um, they won the semifinal. They, they were able to go to the finals. Unfortunately, they lost. Uh, Jessica's team lost to the Tampa Spartans. Uh, they beat Emory Riddle, but they lost to the Tampa Spartans. But this is by far the best season the Argos have ever had. So congratulations awesome. to the Argos. Congratulations to Jessica in all of her work. And if you haven't listened to Jessica's um, cap and gown she did with Rachel, you should go back and, and listen to that one as well, because it's really insightful to hear the perspective of a student athlete. So yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so let's do our roadmap. All right. This, I'm excited about this topic today because this came out of some really specific conversations that we were having with different schools and some of the things that we're seeing trends um, that are becoming more and more um, apparent for us. So sorry, Matt, that's not our roadmap. I don't, yeah, that's not that's a roadmap. That's last, last week's roadmap. So I'll just give you the roadmap. How about that? Oh. So we are going to do State of the Union. <laughs> um, and then we're going to talk about this idea of how technology has evolved over the last 12 years 
as our perspective of our students has evolved as well. And so thinking through the foundational philosophy of how technology has been built and also um, just the changing campus uh, environment and ecosystem of technologies. And so I'm really excited for us to do kind of a little walk down memory lane of this technology idea around student sport. So it's going to be great. Let's start with State of the Union. So there's an article about uh, what um, Omicron, is that how you say it? Omicron. Omicron. Yeah, that's around. I don't want to talk about it. I'm depressed about it. So it's going to impact us. Who knows how? We just have to say it because that is part of the State of the Union. Okay, moving on. Um, NCAA just released their study on their Division I athlete graduation rates. So really remarkable. I love this. I would um, encourage you to share this with your campus. 90% um, of Division I athletes from this uh, study, uh, the study that they did, graduated within six years of starting college. And that's unchanged from 2020. And then it maintained the same national graduation graduation rate as last year, which is 69%, which is one percentage point higher than that of the overall student body. So one of the reasons I'm talking about this is because so often the perspective of what our athletes are like as students is not accurate, right? right? It's yeah, it's kind of like, oh, everybody knows, but athletes are um, graduating at a higher rate. I thought this is really interesting. So when we look at different populations, Black Division I student athletes have a graduation success rate of 80%. Hispanic and Latino student athletes graduated at a rate of 88%. Women Division I athletes graduated at 94% awesome. compared to their male counterparts at 85, which is still higher than the uh, general student body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so really remarkable. But it got me curious because I know we have a lot of schools that are doing Division Two and Division Three sports. So I looked up the Division Two sports. The last time they published their academic success rate um, for Division Two uh, sports, it was seventy-six percent of student athletes graduate within six years of initial enrollment. So that's awesome. Um, and then for Division Three, it's at about sixty-nine percent graduation, which is 2% higher than the kind of uh, general student body. So, yeah. So I think that that's a great, I would partner with my athletics department to do a lunch and learn for faculty to talk about graduation rates for your athletes. And also to say, here's the way that we're supporting our students and what their schedule looks like. Like, it's yeah. like we talked about with Jessica. It's not that these students are lazy. They're, they have a full-time job on top of their college work, right? I just think there's so much you can learn. If you just study effective athletics programs that have high graduation rates and learn how coaches are, are doing that, how they're connecting the team with resources, how the campus is supporting those athletes, especially in season, there's a lot that you can then apply to other at-risk populations because there are some, I mean, as we do spark analysis, you do see that there are different sports have different rates and it Sometimes sure. will surprise you, whereas one school, maybe the soccer team is, is at a lower retention rate, but at this other school, soccer is one of the highest. And so you go and you look and you see what those coaches are doing and they're remarkable and they're really plugged in with their students. They're connecting those students to the right resources. So there's a lot that you can learn from athletics because it's kind of this baked in community. Yeah, it's a great model for sure. Yeah. Okay, another article, which I'm not going to go in depth about, but I would really encourage our listeners to go and read. It's called 10 Conversations Our Campuses Need to Have in, from Inside Higher Ed. So Rachel Elam will chat that to you if you've joined us um, in Zoom, <clears throat> but it'll be easy to find it. It basically is going through and saying, hey, these are things that we need to address in the coming years in order to be more successful. A couple of things that they talk about, um, number one is about transfer students. So 80% of community college students aspire to get a bachelor's degree, but fewer than 20% ever get one. Wow. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. And so they have some um, ideas about seamless transfer, aligned curriculum. 
women, uh, so the next one is gender. Women make up 60% of undergraduates and are much more likely to earn a degree. However, they are less likely to graduate with a degree in the highest demand fields like engineering and advanced mathematics. And so he talks about both how to increase retention and graduation for males and to encourage uh, females to get into some of those other um, majors. I really hope that starts to change uh, when I think about my daughters and, and the STEM programs that they're in. Yeah. I think I'm really excited about this emphasis of uh, you know having more women in STEM. So hopefully we start to see that change. Yeah, for sure. They talk about things like completion, affordability and indebtedness, um, job preparation, which you and I just talked about, uh, everyone's going to expect this kind of straight line now from going to college to then being able to get a uh, job. They explore the business model of higher education in this article. They talk about <clears throat> how we are becoming more like uh, students' parents in higher education, and then obviously how a lot of culture wars are being um, fought on our community campuses. Yeah. But the one that I want to talk about is uh, access. So this article is talking about how do we get a much larger number of higher performing students of color and students from low income backgrounds into college. Um, and th this article suggests that we have to enhance our outreach to them, right? And we should be doing a better job of Summer Bridge. We have to do a better job of our after school programs. Um, but I don't know, Matt, if you saw this article about the advantages that white students have in admissions also in, in inside higher ed. Sorry, I'm dying. Hold on one second. Choking to death over here. To answer your question, I, I did see this article. And um, <clears throat> so the way that it broke out, the, the preparedness of white students or applicants to college compared to students of color. Right. Yeah. So what they relate this to really is they're saying two thirds, more than two thirds of white students, 68% say they can rely on family and friends for information about the college admissions process, but only 38% of black students agree. So that's the first place that they're measuring. Like, and obviously that reflects first generation, right? Yeah. Um, also, white and Asian students plan to apply to more colleges than other students. So on average, they're applying to four and other students are applying to maybe just one or two. And then also white students were more likely than others to have gone on campus tours, which is really interesting. If you think about like you and I were saying going home for Thanksgiving, right? Well, any sort of a trip to a place is expensive. And so it really is a certain population who's able to just go and take all the campus tours that they want. That's not everybody can do that. What I like about this article is <clears throat> this sentence that says, all the differences between white students and black students point to more sophistication about applying to college, not better preparation for college. Absolutely. And so the way that we then mitigate that is we are looking for opportunities to help those students apply in sophisticated ways to colleges. And you were saying even for like career counselors at the high school level. So one thing that I love about my uh, son and daughter go to a magnet school and it's, a, it's an incredible school, um, STEM school, and they are from freshman year through senior year, they are doing campus tours. They'll load up their bus and they'll drive to Dallas. They'll go up to Lubbock and visit Tech or down to Austin <clears throat> and visit schools. And you start to see how giving those opportunities really makes a difference for when I look at uh, at the end of year, the senior awards, and all of the seniors start announcing where you know where they're going to college, they're going to the schools where they visited as a group, yeah, for the most part. And so I just think for um, colleges to work more closely with guidance counselors in high schools to be able to provide opportunities, even if your school can provide the bus to get those high schoolers to your campus, what an impact that can make certainly for your, for your recruiting, but for those students who otherwise, how would they ever have that opportunity? So, you know, two things strike me about that. The first one is we're always talking about academic uh, vision and over Thanksgiving, I was talking to one of my very good friends who said, you know, I remember a faculty member saying to me, Hey, have you ever thought about going to get your PhD? And he's like, I never thought of that before, but her giving him that vision, he went on to do it. 
right? And so that's part of what we're talking about with these students is saying, look, you do fit here. This would be a good place. We want to give you a vision of what it would be like for you to go to college. So I think that's really simple things like, Hey, apply to four schools. Right. It doesn't hurt, you know, and, and for a school district, um, maybe to provide some, some, some of the, um, funding to allow that because it's good for your community, for your, for your high school graduates to go to college. It's just good for your, for your community. So there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, I think a partnership between institutions and high schools is something you have to look at. What are we doing to encourage and provide what is the word that you said that, that proficiency or, you know, understanding of the the process. So, yeah. So it's a great example of upstream thinking. I'm thinking about Dr. Barrington Price, right? Oh, Um, absolutely. University where he's like, Hey, by the time these students come to us, they already have a lot of things to overcome. We got to go to high schools and make a partnership with them and really work to, to make this pipeline a little bit easier. So great article. That's great. Okay, um, I have two more for you. The next one is an article um, that was put out by the University of Professional and Continuing Education Association and Straighter Line, which you guys have heard us talk about before, an online education provider. We love what they do. I think it solves a lot of problems for schools. I'm happy to talk about them with you if you're interested, but it's an awesome model that will help you with academic recovery and just a lot of issues. So love Straighter Line. But this is a um, report that they did on adults aged 20 to 34 who have completed some college but did not earn a degree. And so they're trying to figure out who leaves college, why do they leave, who comes back, and how do we get them back? So those are their four questions. Um, Across all the demographics, so one thing I'll say is the majority of survey respondents, 63% are women, so it's not representative of every, uh, it's not an even sample, right? Um, Half of them were full-time employees, 65% of respondents had incomes of $50,000 or less, so that's the population that we're talking about. Across all demographics, 42% of respondents reported stopping out of college for financial reasons. Mm -hmm. 32% said they left because of family or personal commitments. Um, And then here's what I find most interesting. When asked what institutions could do to re-engage them, 70% of former students said colleges and universities could offer certificates for credits earned. So this is that like short, like, hey, we want you to use what you have to your advantage. We know that you're not going to be able to show the piece of paper that says you graduated from college but you did pay for those credits. And so we want to make that more formal so that you can go to a job and say, like, I took these four business classes or I took these two accounting classes or whatever. So I love that idea. I think that's awesome. Um, 62% said institutions could lower the cost of courses. And then 55% said institutions could provide counseling among other proposed supports. So really helpful to think about targeting those populations to get them to come back and be successful. So we have right now, you know, there were, I'm a little surprised at the lower number of transfer students right now. That's, that's something that's been in the news. Um, We kind of expected that there would be more transfer students and, um, and also the students who kind of stopped out with COVID, we're not seeing them come back into, uh, you know, filling out applications and, and applying to other schools. So, so we, there's a lot that we need to do, but what I find interesting in that is there are some specific things that schools could, you know, so how do we provide more support? Going back to um, uh, the school that you mentioned in, in a previous cap and gown that was providing support for families, um, just childcare, you know, what are, what are some things that say, Hey, you belong on this campus and we want you to be a part of our community. I yeah. think, I think between childcare and financial support, there's a lot that you can provide. Yeah. Okay. This last one I think is funny. <clears throat> it's a very well-written um, article because I don't know, and I would be curious to hear from our listeners, how many of you do Peloton? I think I said that right. Peloton. Yeah. Okay. How many of you do Peloton? I did not know what it was, but it apparently, I think it's kind of genius. It's like you buy a bike and it has a monitor on it 
But what's genius about it is that it has like all these classes you can join and you can like ride your bike with other people in the class, like virtually, but you know, you're all in the class together and they have all these different teachers and they have whatever. It seems really interesting. This article, which was inside higher ed is about uh, Peloton as a pedagogy. But after reading the article, I think I need one of these. So I don't know, maybe it's like a plant. This is actually an ad feed, maybe. Um, but what this author is talking about is how Peloton has used all of these hooks and levers and techniques to get this huge community of people to want to exercise and use their programs. And so he just goes through, he talks about initial presentation matters. And so thinking about applying this in classes, but also for campuses, we're always talking about everything speaks, right? So <clears throat> I've said before, I went to a um, campus one time and got locked in the bathroom and to crawl <laughs> under the stall. And all the students were like, oh yeah, that one just does that. And I was like, this does not speak well of this place, right? So initial presentation is very important. We need to make sure that there are visible signs of quality on your campus. Um, but then he goes on to say accessibility is important. So thinking about that in terms of non-traditional students needing office hours that make sense for them, your um, LMS has to be reliable, you have to be able to get in and do what you need to do, right? How are all of the ways that we're making sure we're really accessible for our students? And then he goes on to talk about a base of shared practice is helpful. So our language of promise and community and what we do and we all understand, right? That's really an important foundation, but then we want to have differentiation in how we deliver that promise. So I'm going to do that differently than you would do it differently than Braden would do it. And so making sure that you have, um, you're allowing everybody to kind of put their stamp on how they're connecting with students on this foundation of um, the same. Okay, two more. The next one is about once you have someone hooked, you can expand engagement. So I really like this because it's like, in the success funnel, when we're talking about connecting, the way that you can get students tied in other places, you want to get connected to them, right? So you're saying, hey, trust me. Now I'm going to say, go trust Matt. Now I'm going to say, go try this. Now I'm going to say, right, but that you have to be engaged with me and then I can get you engaged with these other people. So I love that. Um, so Rachel, I'm thinking yeah. about this in terms of first year seminar or first year course. And, you know, so how do you teach that with all of your first year seminar instructors? Like, hey, these are things to think through. Um, we definitely, you know, when you think about sending students home and having to do courses online through Zoom or whatever, a lot of these things were not being done, uh, but Peloton's done a great job of creating that engagement. Yeah, do you see what Michelle said? I think it's such a good point. She said Peloton is competition plus community plus education. So there are some clear pieces where we would say, oh, maybe we should like kind of leverage what they're doing. Yeah. The last one that they talk about is motivation. So Peloton builds in all of these different motivations. And what I think is so interesting about it is they're for totally different people, right? So there are some people who want gamification. I want to like get the badges and do the thing. And I want to, so some people that's going to really be attractive to you. Some people it's about rank. So competition, like, where am I? Am I doing a good job? Am I doing better than these people? Then output, how much better, stronger, faster am I getting? That's another kind of lever. And then lastly, they talk about intrinsic motivation. Like I like hanging out with these people. I feel better when I exercise. And I think all four of those are things that we have to build into higher education for our students. It definitely reflects just the differences of people and personality yeah. and motivations. But Rachel, when you think about those, which of those would, would motivate you to buy one? Okay, well, I like gamification. Okay. It, it gives me, I think, especially, I mean, I told you I play Stardew Valley, which maybe I shouldn't tell you <laughs> I do that, but I started in COVID because it was like a very small, manageable accomplishment that I could be like, okay, I like, I did that thing today. So I think gamification for me would be really fun. I really, I should not have told Stardew Valley. Sorry, guys. Oh, I love it. This is a but, great example of, you know, purchase versus practice. 
Yeah, so for sure. But I mean, I'm not trying to do an advertisement for them, but they give you, I think it's 90 days to try it. And if you don't like it, they'll come pick it up. So it would be really interesting to see, like, I'm going to buy this and then see if I use it. And if not, they got to come haul it off. I don't know. It's interesting. I'll tell you if I get one. I'm going to do some more research about it. And that is the State of the Union. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Rachel. You're, yeah, no problem. So let's move now to our topic of today, which is about holistic student success, which I know that's a thing that people say all the time. And it's like, yeah, holistic student success. But I want to take a trip about how that's evolved, how we've seen that evolve over the last 15 years and make a um, conclusion or draw, draw a conclusion that technology is not doing a great job of keeping up with the personal evolution of how we are supporting students okay so stick with me as our college I, has evolved to support students for sure yeah so i actually want to start with the foundation of our conversation a quote that comes from um winston churchill okay i think that this is very interesting so october 28 1944 the commons chamber had been destroyed um and during because of bombing yeah there was a blitz and they totally destroyed it and so they were trying to figure out whether or not they how they should rebuild the chain chamber and winston churchill said basically hey you we should keep this adversarial rectangular pattern instead of changing it to a semicircle because it represents our two-party system, which is the essence of how we do government. And his quote was, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. So that quote, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us, I want to use as the foundation of this conversation because the importance of it is that you build a thing whether it's a building or i'm going to argue in this case technology and then it becomes your boss and all of the things that you built and all of the philosophy and all of the instruments and the features and all of that stuff then shape your days as long as you use it and shapes your processes and the way you think about things and students and and you've heard me say before you know if i'm using software to support student success and retention and it's talking in judicial affairs terms where we have an incident and then we have plaintiffs and whatever like respondents and witnesses yeah. that shapes what i do and how i think going forward and so I think there's a lot of difficulty with technology that was built with a certain foundation that then has shaped the way that we've done things moving forward. Is that a good case for that quote? Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. I mean, you see that in so many different areas when, when you think about technology, even, I mean, take it out of higher ed technology, just look at other technology that we use and yeah. how that you know, the, the difference between Apple and Microsoft, right? So kind of that foundational understanding that Steve Jobs had about creativity versus Bill Gates, who was thinking in terms of business management, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting idea to think about the people who built Facebook with the newsfeed, where it's constantly being updated and how that shaped us because we're constantly checking it. So they yeah. put this feature in and guess what? That shapes us for the rest of our lives where we're like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Right. Okay. So I, this will be interesting, Matt, because we're going to take a little trip down memory lane. I want to remember back to when our technology was being created. And I want to think about it in terms of the ways that we understood the work of student success and the things that we built in, and then the ways that they have benefited our clients moving forward. And I I mean, we are going to be talking about Ferris 360 more today than we normally do during cap and gown, but I think it's a great example for you to then apply to other technologies on your campus. So that that's my, if you don't use us, that's okay. You can still use this kind of model to, to, um, to well, think through. So before you go into that, Rachel, I think you and I have always talked about it in terms of you have people first 
And then you have processes that are happening. A technology comes along and facilitates those processes for those people. And, and I think that that understanding those three components is really important as we, as we then talk about, you know, so where did this come from? Where kind of what is the, the, the origin of our approach and all of that? Well, we had specific people doing unique processes and then we built technology. So with yeah. that, yeah, so this uh, technology was born out of the Office of Career and Academic Development. And the reason that's important is because we were doing work with all sorts of different students. We were doing academic recovery. We were doing um, success coaching. We were doing early alerts, referrals. We were doing career and academic advising. We were under the first year experience and we were working with freshmen. So we had all of these different people. And this is a long time ago before that was kind of a common model. And so the reason this technology came to be is because, and I was thinking about this, Matt, the reason this technology came to be first is because that office had capacity to serve students, but we couldn't find them fast enough. And so it really was like the simplest early alert. How can we make a pipeline from faculty who know students are struggling to people who then can provide support, right? right. And so the very first thing we did was think, through how are we going to build this form that then faculty can fill out, which is now I would consider like old school, original, old school early original, alert. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then when I came into the process, I was like, okay, but now what? You've just dumped 50 students on me, but there's a whole process that I have to go through in order to serve them. And so I need technology to, to help me facilitate that process. And so we really then started building some of those other tools for case management and collaboration and then moved that out of the university to be able to provide it for other universities. And our very first client was like, hey, I know you guys have used it in an office where you got, you're sharing students and like Matt's doing advising, but Rachel's doing academic recovery. So you have to be able to share all that information. They're like, we are gonna do this in a much broader way across campus. And so we have to be able to have some of these security rights where not everybody can see everything about every student. So it was this balance between we don't, so we don't wanna have silos on campus, but there are some times where we need to keep information private. Yeah, absolutely. And so, What's relevant about that, and I would encourage our listeners to think about, is I have found that that schools are either FERPA militant or FERPA lax, and I don't like either of them, but most of the time schools fall into one of those camps. And I think the reason why is because if your technology was not built to think of a student as a whole person, right? So we're not saying like, we're just looking at academics or we're just looking at what's happening in res life. We need to really understand what's going on. And that means there does have to be some exchange of information. There does have to be some of the sharing, but we have to do that with surgical precision, right? You can't just be like, oh, everybody can hear everything. If you don't have technology that was built with that idea in mind, then the only way to keep our students' privacy safe is either to be totally militant and not share anything and have your specialized software that's locked down and no one's ever gonna know anything about a student, right? right. Which we see, and I, I mean, I think of the two, I appreciate that one the most oh. because at least you're being very, very careful of your students' privacy. Absolutely. Um, it, it, is not conducive for community and it's not conducive for whole person care and support and holistic understanding of what's happening with our students. But I understand why you'd make that choice if you if your technology hasn't been built with this idea of that. And then the flip side is FERPA lax, which is like a comment box in your student information system that everybody can see where everybody just writes anything that they want about a student financial aid, you know, career advice, whatever you want in that comment box. And then everybody has access to that. And that gives me hype. But we know, we know schools that have been in that place where they had a Google sheet and, and they shared it with 20 people and, and you really have no control. Yeah, for sure. To see what. And I think the reason, so 
again, technology shapes us, right? Those are two solutions for technology that is not built with this now evolved sense of what our students are, that they're whole people that we need to figure out how to support. Those are technologies that are built like everybody, yeah, just put all the information in without any understanding of the actual law. <laughs> um, or technologies that are focused on solving a problem for a particular office, but not focused on community whole person student support, which is where I think we are now. So that technology, those tools built the way that they are, that's where you end up. Then they start ruling your, your life. Um, I also think it's interesting when we talk about uh, technology to, to try to explain to a student, I think I've said to you before, like, the you wake up in the rest hall so that's student development but then you go to class so that's academics but then you go to the business financial aid office and that's a different that's operations and then you think about your go to mission chapel stuff. and that's campus ministry or yeah so for them that's a flood like they don't understand those distinctions but i will say i mean 15 10 15 years ago those distinctions were fine with everybody on a campus and there wasn't a lot of work to bridge the gap between those two pieces. And so it's why you get specialized software because everybody just needs a thing to solve their problem. Right. We are not saying, well, I don't know if the academic issue is a symptom or the real issue, right? Well, I think that the, the specialized software that comes out is reflective. I mean, it, if you look around your campus at all the different pieces, it is a great way of, of uh, the, the symbol of silos, right? Yeah. So we have this piece and that was for this specific reason. And we have this piece and hopefully, you know, we can pull some data to both of them. But um, yeah, it's a great That's really funny, Matt. Yeah, it's really funny to think about like whatever the softwares are that exist on your campus, like each shining a different brightly colored light up into the sky, right? So you have like purple here and you have green here and then everybody uses a little bit of the student information system, but it is silos. It is not connected at all. And so I would say as an action item, I mean, we are always telling our clients, do not split up academic issues and other issues. I, I know campuses think it's a good idea, I know oftentimes they have two different teams that are assessing those, but from the very beginning, we have built in this idea that it is a piece of the puzzle. Whatever you are reporting is a piece of the puzzle. And you might be concerned that they're not doing well in math, but what you don't know is they're not doing well in any course because right. their mom is sick and they feel totally overwhelmed and they don't know what to do, right? So my i cannot encourage strongly enough to say you need to have a multi-access referral form that talks about the whole person of a student and you need to have a person in that process who looks at that and says i'm going to do some digging oh this really is an academic issue they need tutor tutoring or this is not about academics this is something else and we got to get them that support uh, so. so it's funny rachel because you you've always been convicted of that. We, we have to have this holistic referral. And I remember 10 years ago, we had a, a school we were talking to that was recognized as one of the best schools in changing students' lives. Yeah. And they were wanting to use our system and we were doing demos and, and you're like, I don't, I don't think they've got it right. And I'm like, okay, but they all so they wanted to have yeah, they wanted to have it routed. And I was like, hey, it's a mistake. You can't do that. And you were like, hey, Rachel, we are new in this business. They have been recognized. Don't be bossy. Just let's give just, them what let, they want. <laughs> let's just let's just let them route it. So if it's an academic issue, it goes to this person. If it's a student life issue, it goes to this person. And you're like, that's dumb. I don't want to do it. Yeah. And I and I begged them and you were kind to, to let them come on board. Fast forward a few years and they call you and they say, Hey, we don't think this is working the right way. And you're like, I told you. It oh, really? That's a novel idea. So yeah. anyway, I would just encourage you guys. I do feel very strongly about that piece. Um, Matt, you and I were saying like what COVID has done is uncover whole students. Yeah. And we, we cannot any longer pretend like they're not whole, right? Like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with them. They are in a system, they are from a system and we can't just be like, oh, that goes there, that goes there, academic, now this, now this, right? We have to see them as- If there's oh, anything okay. that comes out of COVID, kind of a Kintsugi idea, 
It's yeah. finally now faculty. It's like you and I were talking about. We had uh, student projects um, that were running on. And they went they went home during COVID, and then they were all uh, zooming in, and and all of a sudden you see your student in their environment at home, and you realize, oh, I mean, that's this a whole person. person, totally whole different. Person totally different yeah. home environment, totally different learning environment, right? So yeah. uh, if, if nothing else, for us to see our students as this whole person, all of these things that are shaping them. And then for you, I mean, you and I have talked about our college experience, right? So my freshman year, my grandfather dies. Um, my sophomore year, my mom has cancer and lives, you know, a thousand miles Our away. And so so thinking about, we know all the, personally, we know all the things that were uh, impacting us to be able to see your students in this holistic way. I loved it when I was teaching that when I made a referral on a student, yeah, they're not doing well in my class, but they also told me they, that this was happening. Yeah. If I only told you that they're not doing well in my class and I didn't tell you the, because of this, then you're totally trying to solve the wrong problem. Yeah. So I also think in terms of technology, um, because you have siloed technology on your campus, you know, when I was doing triage work without technology that had this picture of the whole student, I was wasting so much time just <laughs> trying to get context. Like, let me go to the 20 different screens and banner and find their major and literally write it on a piece of paper. Here's their major. Here's their advisor. Here's their, their LMS data. If there's anything about, if there's anything about you, Rachel, is that if something is wasting your time, you're mad. Yeah, I really do not <laughs> like it. Right. So we, I mean, it's good for everyone else because this idea of efficiency, like I need context. I need as much information as I can get so that I can try to uncover what is actually happening with the student. Because, you know, from a counseling background, I cannot tell you how many times I would be doing counseling and I'd be asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, right? That's basically what counseling is. Just, you just ask a lot of questions and then, you know, draw conclusions and, and give insight. But how many times I would ask a question after seeing a client three or four times and there would be one little piece of information that they would give me because I asked the right question and I would be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I understand now what's going on, right? I understand where the difficulty is. I understand why we're stuck. I understand why you feel frustrated. It's one piece of information. So that understanding when we're building software, I'm like, I need all the context because if I know that they have this person as a math teacher and they're not doing well in math and that's a terrible teacher, that's going to help me solve their problem. Or if I look at their non-cognitive assessment that's being pulled into the software and I can see like they don't actually want to be here, that's going to help me solve the problem. So we did build so many tools for context to try to get a clear picture of what's going on with students um, because of that reason that we wanted to understand all of the things in the system for that, that student, all of those influences on them. But going right? back, Rachel, to the people processes and technology piece, when you came in and you're doing this process of trying to solve the problems or the challenges that our students are having, and you're like, I, I want the full understanding of what's going on, it would take three, five days sure. to gather that because you'd be on the phone, you'd be asking all of their faculty. It would just take a lot of time for you to gather the information so that when they came to see you, you could actually have that connection and, and help them. Um, yeah. and, and that really, you know, when, when you think about then how you crafted Ferris 360 to solve that problem, that was really clear. So one action item I would recommend for our listeners is if you are doing student success work, I want you to think about all the places you have to go to get that context. So if you have advising software and you need to know what's happening with their advisor, you have an SIS, you have an LMS, you have maybe something in res light, like where are all of the places you have a non-cognitive assessment that you're giving, you're asking, you're getting referrals from somewhere else. And then think about that process being streamlined down because all of those technologies 
were not built to give you context of the student. Again, they were built to solve the problem that you're trying to solve. So Rachel, this is this is a perspective we've early days built just to explain the all, all that would have to go on to bring all of that information. So this is basically a student sitting in the middle with all of their connections, all of their faculty, all of the student support services and all the crisscrossing that I have to do to try to figure out what do you know? Okay, well, what do you know? Do you know that? Do you know that? What's happening, right? All of that stuff, the idea then is that you want to have software that, that helps you with that. Um, so I have a long list of things that we built. I think the one that I wanna, talk really about in terms of whole person is um, our circle of care. So we're always trying to make transparent those touch point relationships. We want you to be able to look at a student and instantly know, here's anyone who's made a referral before, here's all of their faculty members, here's their advisor, here's their RA, their success coach, their athletics coach, instantly. You guys know how long that takes to gather that information. So I love the idea that we have individual care teams for every student that we are able to pull information in. And what's helpful about that is that we've done privacy rights around those things so that you have the perfect balance of making things transparent to people where it's educationally appropriate right. and keeping them private from everybody else. And so I understand without technology that has that built in why you would be either lax or militant, but this is a way for you to make sure the right people know the right information about the right students uh, so that they can make it actionable. Okay, um, I also wanna talk about how, if you're thinking about like software that's coming out of just advising, so we're solving a problem for advising, or software that's solving an accessibility problem or career software or engagement software or whatever those specialized softwares, conduct software, right? Um, what's really interesting about that is that because they're focused on solve, they oftentimes have really specialized uh, processes built in because it's like, well, accessibility services is gonna do a different process than these other things, right? Right. Um, What's interesting about that is they're sacrificing whole student view for specialized process because they're designed for each of these. Um, I would suggest that because software, our software is built around the success, student success funnel, we've got to find students, we've got to connect with them, we've got to solve problems, and then we've got to measure that. It's why it's why it can be used for all of these different processes, because they all do those four steps right they all have students that they're managing they all have relationships with their students, they are trying to solve a specific problem and then they like to measure those things and so. The idea of you build your buildings and then they they shape you is having each of those tools that are going to support those four processes, then allows you the flexibility and the freedom to use them for whatever your specific processes without sacrificing community view and community sharing, which I think is really powerful. I think one of the best examples of that, again, I, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to COVID, but I, it is definitely one of those things that we saw, you know, as, as our schools started to use our system um, to, to manage COVID and it was highlighted by one of our uh, campus partners, you know, and how they were using that to track all of that, that that was a great example of being able to manage it appropriately. Not everyone needed to know everything that was right. going on medically um, or health-wise with the student, but definitely needed these, these tools to be able to facilitate support for that student and also bring where appropriate the right people in the loop on, they're not going to be in class. Uh, these, these are things that are happening. Yeah, I agree. Um... It's, it's actually really hard to imagine supporting that COVID process without fundamentally uh, software that fundamentally sees students as whole people, right? Um, I just took a whole trip on how difficult that would be, so. Well, we've um, heard that. I mean, we've heard that yeah. from so many of our, of our clients, um, even today. Yeah. And it's crazy that they're, I mean, they're logging like almost 2000 hours of COVID support actual engagement with students in the system. Yeah. yeah. Um, one other thing that I wanna say is that um, 
as we're thinking about technology who I, that I don't think has really kept up with this idea of evolving students as whole people, um, the philosophy for why technology is built. So you just have to have a clear vision of what you were trying to accomplish. And I don't, I'm not sure I like the theme of this uh, cap and gown, which is like, I'm very bossy about these things because I am very bossy about them. But I am always holding the line for our technology to say, unless you can tell me how it is gonna help our practitioners identify, connect, solve or measure, I don't wanna build it, right? So Rachel, you might recall one of our very first presentations ever uh, at a conference was called, You're Not the Boss of Me, Putting Technology in Its Place. Yeah. I, so I think that might be the theme. Really. Yeah. Okay, well, then I guess I'm just gonna own it because I'm gonna say, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, it's a great conversation to have with anybody who's providing technology for you. I, I think it's a great conversation to say, hey, help me understand how you decide what things get built. Help me understand what features are prioritized, right? Uh, because, uh, so one of the examples I was thinking of is, you know, we have Time Free, which is our appointment scheduling piece. And for years in the beginning, Oh yeah. I think you and Shauna both were like, Hey, we need appointment scheduling. We need appointment scheduling. And I was like, that is not, there are plenty of other places that you can do appointment scheduling. Do go use Google. Like there are other ways to do this. We're not in the business of appointment scheduling. And then I think you were like, Hey, Rachel, if we were going to do appointment scheduling, how would you build it so that it would facilitate student success, right? right? If we're not just trying to solve the problem of students getting on our calendars, but we're actually trying to use that to, tool to facilitate student success, how would you build it? And I was like, okay, well, it has to be in the log. I have to see if students actually came. I'm, I want to be able to see like what was talked about in those sessions. We have to use that to then give us context and leverage. It can't just be a put it on the calendar and be done with it, right? And so we built it so that it facilitates that, but the holding the line of like, I'm not building a thing that just, you're just saying like, oh yeah, we should have that in here. It has to be directly connected to our student success funnel, I think is really, really important. The thing I love about Time Free is, is you named it, it wasn't busy time where you look at a calendar <laughs> and see all, all the things going on. It's, oh, I've got some free time right now. Let's yeah. talk. Yeah, so um, I I just think you'd be really curious in all of the technologies. I'm thinking about technology I used when I worked on a campus to like go to Banner and be like, hey, why did you build this thing? And they're like, uh, because the registrar needs it to keep track of grades. Okay, I understand. Like that's what that software is for. But it's did not we have to name it Shafurgaruv or what? Safar eggs. So I was always on Safar eggs. I'm telling you. Yeah. For those of you who don't know banner they, and also right why can't we name it something normal student information page please whatever i'm okay i'm just a little riled up today um this is the second week in a row so i gotta oh. get, get off some more some less, less hot coffee. topic things for me yeah all right i do have some action items for you guys and so this is a strange what did i miss did i forget something well i mean there's just a lot when you think about Things like, I, I love, again, so you've said it, in general, look at how technology, what was the underlying principle of that technology? What is it, what was it really crafted to do? I really, I, what I love is that we had the core of 360, and then as you've expanded it with Pivot for conduct, and, and just that underlying, well, what is the philosophy of Pivot? It isn't to be, you know, it's to be restorative. And so we, if it's going to be restorative, we want it to blend into 360, but be crafted in this way. And I, I just think that that, again, is so important to look at. Okay, so when, when you think about this technology, what were the processes it's designed to, to build? And who are the people who are influencing those processes? When you design student conduct around people who are restorative, that makes sense then that you could have a, a more- A connection to tool. community. Yeah, a yeah. connection to community that we would have that whole context, yeah. right? And that we would have a, a kind of different language that we're using. Okay, so let me give you your action items. Um, 
I feel like we have, so our conversation today is really about looking at technology, what those foundational roots are, and then being able to apply this new perspective on students, evolving perspective on students to those different pieces of technology. And I think sometimes that's really difficult because like I said, it's like they were built back when this and they have not evolved with the times. Yeah. So my action items for you are, first of all, please think about a holistic referral for early alert. Please think about not having multiple teams that are managing those. Um, I understand why, I understand why, but my experience with that has been you miss out on something when you are automatically assigning things academic student development. So I would encourage you to have a holistic form there. The other thing I would say about it is it's so much easier for faculty go one place, tell us whatever you know. So don't they don't have to they don't have to decide. And I always talk about our referral like the tip of the iceberg. There's amazing machinery underneath. Both on the academic side, we have tutoring and we have success coaching and we have advising, we have career services, and then we have student development and counseling and right there's machinery under this tip of the iceberg just tell faculty to go to this one place and say whatever they know. And then we're going to make sure that that machinery engages in the best way, so I would really encourage you on your campuses to address that. Um, also, remember person to person. So another foundational philosophy in the building of our technology is that person to person engagement is the most powerful engagement and it's the one that we want most often. And so automatic emails from technology do not help students. They, again, you are pretending like they don't know that they didn't come to class and they're not doing a good job, they know. And what they need is a person to say, hey, I see you come in and I will help you. And so I would look for places where you are not delivering person-to-person -person support. I'm not saying that you have to literally type an email to a student and sign it. You can have a template, but it needs to come from a person that they could find if they needed to. Like, oh, Rachel, I need to go find her because she's going to help me. So I would look at some of those processes where you're not doing person to person um, and try to fix that. Um, please, so the next one is nix the comment dump. If you have one of those, if you are FERPA lax and you have a place where everybody's just putting all their comments and everyone can see that, I would encourage you to address that. Um, I think here's my charitable reading of that, Matt. I think what happened 10 and 15 years ago when the comment field got created was that it was specifically relevant to academic issues, that it was specifically about early alert and academic issues. Because again, remember we are siloed and we're not whole people. And so we're just saying like, they have to register this, you know, they, they didn't do this, they didn't do this. And as we have evolved, to see like, oh, they're struggling in this, or they told me this thing or something's going on, the, pro the practice, the process has not evolved with that. So that more and more personal sensitive things are being put in that comment dump instead of just advisor notes, right? As we would understand advising 15 years ago. My advisor never asked me any questions about me. They were like, do you have your schedule? Okay, thanks, bye, right? That would be a fine comment dump. Well, I, I understand that that's where it may have come from, but I have seen schools, fortunately they've moved away uh, from it with us, but where they were sharing in, in that dump, they had financial information yeah. that, that was blended with uh, admissions information. For I mean, sure. It, it was, a, it was, yeah. Yeah, not good. Not good. Okay, so if you have that, please call me because I need to talk to you about it. I need to solve that problem for you. That. Um, also, I we were I was going to talk about this earlier, but then I kind of forgot. So one of the things that we've built in in the last year is the ability to see when students are opening your emails. And I know I keep talking about this, but I'm just like flabbergasted by it because the narrative for everybody we talk to is students don't read their emails. And what we're seeing is they're reading their emails five and six times and they're totally paralyzed. Yeah, and six so, in the morning. I mean, the yeah. Yeah, so you guys have heard me say that before. We built that in in terms of context and whole person. Like we wanted to be able to see our students not getting the information, what's going on with them. We've been really surprised to notice. So I would just say, you guys, 
even if you don't have technology that tells you that, can you just make the assumption that if you've sent an email to a student and it's been four or five days and they haven't responded, I would make the assumption that they're paralyzed and give them a simple nudge email with something that is easily accomplished. Because we all know, I have emails in my inbox now where it's like, hey, Rachel, please do these 25 things. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't do that unless I do that. And then overwhelming versus just a, hey, how's it going? Do you want to meet yes or no? That maybe I can muster, right? So make that a, a assumption um, if you're not getting that. a response. And then the last thing I would say is it is a really interesting process to make a list of all of the software on your campus. We talk about this in terms of the ecosystem of your software and who uses what and what systems talk to each other and where's the data that you need, where does that live? Where are you having to go to be able to see that? And then thinking about how that technology facilitates whole person thinking and um just challenging like if it's not if it's built for this specific process is there a way for you to use whole person technology for student support so that you can have a better picture of the context of what's going on because matt the conversation that we're having today comes specifically out of my excitement of avalanches of schools coming to us and saying we have now progressed our processes to the point where we can't do siloed software anymore, right. right? Like it doesn't make any sense for us to have all of these silos on campus. We are now seeing our students in a totally different way and we have to have the technology to be able to support that so that we can lead our students through to success and retention. And so I'm really happy about that evolution that I think is happening on campus and the excitement of how are we gonna solve the right problems for students and, and see them you know, in a really holistic way, so. I love that. Well, I'm glad that you were bossy in the beginning. It, Thanks. It's really helped, <laughs> it's helping our schools. So um, those are great action items, Rachel. I wanna thank everyone for joining us today for this 36th episode of Cap and Gown. Uh, as you think about your holistic approach to student success, um, Rachel, Thanks for having me on again. It's yeah, always a joy. Thank you guys. Good to spend time with you. Have a great day. Have a great day. <laughs>